This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCoster. Good afternoon, Ryan. How are you? Splendid. How are you? I'm great. And we also um, are doing, we have a couple firsts that we are doing today. First of all, we need to welcome everybody because we're doing this in front of an audience for the first time. Um, This is like our podcast equivalent of college game day. I don't think it's like that at all, but whatever. You know, like when the game day goes to the, the football games and people, it's like that, but for lawyers. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly like that. But we are recording this live in front of a studio audience at the roundtable meeting for the Michigan Interprofessionals Association, which is also known as MIPA. Um, For those of you who don't know, that is an association of um, judges, referees, attorneys, and mental health professionals who all work with families, um, particularly families that are going through divorce and dissolution, and they have roundtables about four times a year um, where we talk about, um, usually with a guest speaker, about issues related to family law and mental health. Um, So that's what we're doing here today. And it's also first because we have more than one guest as well. So Ryan, um, can you give us a little introduction to Ashley, who's joining us. Tell us a little bit about Ashley, and then I will talk about Kim. Yeah, so Ashley uh, is a friend of mine who I've known for years. Um, Her cousin was my hairstylist for a long time, which is probably how I got to know her. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much (laughs) my history with Ashley. That's it. Um, And then we also have joining us Kim Grover, who is a practicing attorney, Um, This is a second career for her, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I believe she was an accountant before she went to law school. And she practices um, mostly in Wayne County, some other outlying counties when she picks up a case there. Um, Practicing, I think I may have said this already, um, predominantly family law, but I think also some other areas that are related Um, And they are both joining us today to talk about co-parenting with grace, Um, moving forward in a co-parenting relationship after you've been through a difficult divorce or dissolution of your relationship with your co-parent. And I, for the folks who are hoping for something that is technical and scientific, you're going to be disappointed um, because this is really going to be very anecdotal. Um, And I'm hoping that at least by listening to the stories of these two women who are willing to talk with us um, this afternoon, that maybe you can pick up some some tips and um, give your clients, whether they be your clients as a patient, if you're a mental health professional or as an attorney, um, some some things to think about as they go forward in their co-parenting relationship. Um, But before we do that, Ryan, did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we kind of jump right into the substance of our discussion with Kim and Ashley today? No. Okay. <laughs> well, then we'll get right to it. Um, I Let me ask you first, Kim, if you can give us a little bit of a background about sort of the origin story um, of your co-parenting relationship with your ex-husband. Um, all your kids are adults now, correct? They are. They're okay. 33 and 36. Okay. And how old were they when you and your husband split up? 
uh, three years and three months. Wow. Uh, tell me a little bit about that split. I already know the story, but I want everybody else to know the story because um, it's movie of the week worthy. So fire away. <laughs> it, it is. Um, when I was about three months pregnant with my son, Glenn, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. My daughter was about just over two at the time. And my ex kind of went off the deep end. I don't really, I can't explain what happened. He just quit talking to me, quit coming home, um, just basically disappeared. I mean, I knew where he was. He came home now and then, but, and he worked on the property that we lived on, but he, he was not communicating with me. So um, I had my son, I had quit my job as an accountant because I didn't know if I was going to be around for my kids. I decided I should be a stay at home mom. And at least until they went to school. And then um, I was supposed to have a hysterectomy, all this stuff. But because he was being so weird, I told my doctor, I don't think we should do this right now. I don't think I can raise two little kids by myself. So they did what they call the cone biopsy just to buy me some time. And then when my son was three months old, I found out that my husband was carrying on an affair in front of all of our friends and his coworkers. Um, and so at that point, he left the home. And for about a year, he said, oh, no, I'm not filing for divorce. I'm not filing for divorce. And then I got divorce papers in the mail. And it, it was it was pretty uh, devastating time. So, you know, we separated. I ended up going back to work as an accountant. And then he moved to Arizona for two years to leave me to raise these two babies. So that's how we started off on this. Okay. Um, and Ashley, I'll ask you the same question. Can you kind of give us a, a outline or summary of um, how old your kids were when you and your husband split up and what the circumstances were? Sure, so um, I have one child. Presley, he is now six years old. Um, we were married for about a year and a half um, when I got pregnant. And he kind of, you know, suggested that I should be a stay at home mom. That was, um, you know, his what he envisioned. Um, and he is actually Arabic. So that's kind of, um, kind of the viewpoint with them, um, not to be stereotypical, but they prefer, you know, their wives to stay at home and raise the kids. Um, so I had no income of my own for a while. And um, around the time that he was about, let's see, one and a half, um, I just started noticing a lot of changes with my husband. And there was actually a family issue. Um, his brother had gotten into some trouble um, locally. That was a pretty big deal. And um, it affected him because, you know, they were very close and they were business partners. And um, it was pretty much just a downward spiral for about six months after that. And it was pretty similar to you, Kimberly. Um, he would just stopped coming home, but I really didn't know where he was. I kind of assumed that he was staying at his office building, which he had turned into kind of a pseudo apartment. Um, and at that, that point, I was kind of just living day by day, to be honest with you. I didn't have an income of my own, so I was reliant on him. Um, his family and my family didn't know what was going on, so there wasn't anybody I could really go to and be like, hey, like, how do I navigate this? Um, 
and it was about June of 2017. So my son was a few months shy of turning two. And um, I got a phone call one night from him, just out of his mind completely. Um, And I was, you know, disturbed. I really didn't know what was going on. I knew something wasn't right with him. But at this point, like I said, I was just trying to kind of like make it day by day and figure out what my next steps were. Um, But long story short, um, he had been, you know, having uh, multiple affairs for months. He was, you know, having some addiction issues and they all just kind of culminated. Um, And he was put on a hold um, at a local mental hospital. And I had found all this out in one night. Um, So the hard part for me, I guess, is, you know, in the movies, you envision you know, these things happening and you're like able to approach that person. And I really didn't even get to do that because he was pretty immediately taken and he was um, committed. So I was kind of like finding out all these bits and pieces of information for the almost two weeks that he was um, committed and not allowed to leave. And I didn't have contact with him really. So it was a very interesting time. Understatement. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I get, I guess my first follow-up is like, how mad were you? Both of you? Like I, I I was mad. I was mad obviously because everybody kind of has that moment of like, how could, how, how could you cheat on me? You know, like, it's just like a personal thing, you know, but I was mad, but I would say the anger lasted not very long. And pretty immediately after, it was more of relief um, because I finally had answers. Like I wasn't crazy because the whole the whole duration of him not coming home and everything was being turned and manipulated against me. And I was the one who was, you know, I was the stay at home mom who was too busy concocting ideas and, you know, creating problems. And there was nothing wrong. And how could I? you know, question somebody who was working so hard to provide for his family. And finally, I was like, you know, I'm not crazy. Like, I knew something was wrong. And now I finally have, you know, the proof to be like, okay, like, this is enough. Like, I'm done. Kim, same question to you. (laughs) I'm going to echo Ashley's feeling of relief of finally finding out what the heck is going on. Because you're going months and months and months and you can't figure out, you know, why is this person not coming home? And like I said, he was coming home, but he wasn't staying. It was like basically coming home to change his clothes and leave again. But the anger was really intense. I mean, here I was sick. I had quit my job. I had two little babies. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. I was terrified. I mean, I knew ultimately I'd be okay. I had an education. I could work. I was smart. But just to be in that situation and left like that, um, I would fantasize. This is, I I laugh about this. I tell my clients all the time when they say you don't understand. I would fantasize about putting Nair in his shampoo bottle because he had this gorgeous, beautiful curly brown hair and eyelashes and eyebrow mustache beard the whole thing and I would just laugh so hard about the thought of him shampooing his hair and everything falling (laughs) off and it'd be like how's your girlfriend gonna like that 
Um, I got over it, but yeah, I was really angry. As somebody so, who's only redeeming physical trait is their hair, like that is a fate worse than death for me. <laughs> I can't imagine narrowing my hair. You have to go into hiding until it all grew back. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, witness protection. <laughs> so, and Kim, how, how long ago were you divorced? What year are we talking about? I, maybe I missed that. Oh no, we're talking 1989. So it's been 33 years. So way far in the rear view. And then Ashley, I think you said 2017. So a few years. Yeah, 2017. Yeah. So Kim, let me ask you first, what, what was your co-parenting relationship like, you know, sort of after the divorce is final, after you sort of have arrangements in place for parenting time, what was the co-parenting relationship like? Well, like I said, he first moved to Arizona for two years. So he was pretty distant. Um, when I got the divorce papers in the mail, the first thing I thought of was because he had been previously married and he had two little ones from his first marriage. And that first wife was horrendous. She did everything she could to keep him away from those boys. And it was the saddest thing ever. So the first thing that I said to myself is, this is not going to be like that. I am going to make sure that my kids have a father and that he's involved and that they know they have two parents who love them. So despite how mad I was at him personally, my only goal was to make sure that those kids had their dad. And my daughter absolutely worshiped the ground her dad walked on. I mean, she didn't care about me, but that was her dad. My son didn't have that same opportunity because his dad left when he was a baby, but I just wanted to make sure that I facilitated that relationship. So he, um, he did call the kids every, you know, like twice a week and talk to them on the phone when he was in Arizona, when he would come home for holidays. I mean, I, my son had chicken pox for Thanksgiving and I still made him take the kids for Thanksgiving. Cause it was like, you need to visit with your children. They need to go. His mom called me up and he bitched me out. How dare you send a sick kid, whatever. But I just made sure that anytime he came home, that those kids were with him. And then once he moved home, we settled into our every other weekend routine. Um, back then, that's what guys had every other weekend. And to be fair, I lived down river and he lived in Howell and a different parenting time plan really wouldn't have worked. But, you know, he was religious about picking the kids up from daycare on Fridays, and then we would meet halfway in Ann Arbor on Sundays. He had his holidays. We talked on the phone. I mean, we had a really good relationship as far as the kids were concerned. And Ashley, what, same question to you. What was your co-parenting relationship like once the divorce was final? Um, there really was no co-parenting relationship in the beginning. Um, because him being, um, on the whole, in the hold or whatnot at the, um, hospital, they had come to determine that he had, um, bipolar disorder and that he was also schizophrenic, which was something that was unbeknownst to me. And I don't know if he had kind of like lived with it his whole life and people just didn't think anything of it or what, but, um, they had kind of said that like the whole incident with like his brother and 
what was going on with like his personal life kind of was the trigger that sparked it. Um, so I couldn't trust him, you know, to be alone with my child. He was living in his office because um, I had kicked him out of our house until I was able to move. And then we were actually just um, renting. So we were able to move out and we moved in with my parents. Um, so it was basically the first year was just kind of, you know, I would like meet him up with my son at like the mall or to go get food or take him over to like his um, mom and dad's house, his other grandparents so that he could see them as well. Um, I really didn't harbor any t- like kind of ill will towards his family because they didn't really know what was going on either. He's the type that he's very closed off. Um, and that's still their grandchild, you know? So my goal from day one, even though, you know, I fantasize of things a lot where I'm putting Nair in a shampoo was to just be amicable and to remember that, like, that was my son's father. And at one point I chose to be with him and I chose to have a child with him. And like, how would that make my son feel if I was to talk bad about what made up one half of him, you know? Um, so I tried to keep it as, you know, amicable as possible. I was living with my parents and my parents were absolute that he was not to set foot on their property. Um, so I literally had to like leave. Like it wasn't like he could just like come by and see him in the driveway. I had to leave and like go somewhere for probably like two years, I think in total, um, so that he could see him. And, um, eventually he did get some help and get back on his feet per se. And he is still with um, one of the women that he had cheated with. They actually have a child and she's um, three years old now. And ironically, she is like one of my little, like my little mini best friends, their daughter. And I get along very well with his um, girlfriend, which some people find just so ridiculous. But at the end of the day, I mean, she was the one who stepped in and cared for my son when they would go out places for a few hours because he really wasn't in the headspace to do it. And she has always treated my son like her own and she will protect him and she looks out for him. And that's all that I ask. You know, I'm not worried about the feelings that I incurred during it because that situation is over. And, and Ashley, this is something you and I have talked about in the past, but, you know, I think for a lot of people, going through this, you know, the the seeing, you know, the, the child that your husband made with somebody else while you were married or, or shortly thereafter, I'm not sure on the timeline, but you know, would be sort of like this. It's, it's, it's tough. It's traumatic. And it's almost like a a constant reminder of, of what had happened. You know, your, your husband, you know, had this child with somebody else, um, and for a lot of people, that's something that's, you know, a tough reminder. Every time you see this child or you see him with this child, it's like, well, that was supposed to be our family. And now that's you with another family. And you had said to me once you said, yes, but that's still my son's sibling. Like that's his mm-hmm. sister. And it's important for me that he have a relationship with her and that they grow up as siblings and not I guess, sort of as adversaries as, you know, perhaps other families might treat that. I mean, how important was that to you? It was extremely important um, to me because, I mean, obviously when I very first found out and it's kind of, it's not funny, but it's funny. um, 
Target was like my spot. Target is still my spot. I feel like it's probably a, the spot for a lot of people, but like that was like where I would go when he would take him for a few hours and I would just, you know, like go roam around Target and it was like my peaceful place. And one of the weekends that he took him, he literally like pulled out of the parking lot with him from Target. I went inside and I was, you know, just looking around and he didn't have the guts to tell me to my face that she was pregnant. He called me when I was shopping and told me she was pregnant. And I think the first thing that I said to him was, how could you tell me this while I was at Target? Like, I was just so mad, you know, but the, of course, the fact of him having a child with somebody else before we were even divorced was upsetting. But I think for me, it was just, I was so relieved to be getting out of it because for so long I wanted to be out and I didn't have almost like the reasoning behind it because I didn't have any proof that I knew something was going on. And I was like, even though I was living with my parents, with my you know son in the bedroom I grew up in and we're like in this tiny place, I was happier there than I was the whole time that I was married. So it was like, I was moving to the place where I was supposed to be. And she's just an innocent child. You know, she had nothing to do with anything. She didn't ask to be born. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose the situation. And she, I mean, I just love her. She's the sweetest thing. I babysit her. You know, we always do things together as a group, as a family. I mean, I'll call and just chat with his girlfriend and vice versa. And like I said, a lot of people find that very weird, but she's good to my son and my son loves her. So Kim, did your husband have any other children after you guys split up? No, not after we split up. He he did get remarried and she had two children from a previous relate or marriage, but he didn't have any more after ours. So let me let me ask you both this. Um, and I think Ashley, you touched on something really important, which is like as upset as you are or angry as you are with your co-parent, justifiably so, that's still half of your children that you have together. And and the thing that they get from you about their other parent impacts how they view themselves. And I think Mm -hmm. super, super important. Um, And I wonder as co-parents too, how did you coordinate you know, as far as how things were going to be between the two houses? Did you have issues where you didn't agree on what discipline was appropriate? Did you have different house rules? Kind of what were the nuts and bolts of that? Kim, I'll start with you. Um, We were on the same page about all of that. Their dad is a really strict disciplinarian. So I just kind of carried forward in the same manner. We had the same bedtimes at each other's houses, the same rules. Um, We never talked poorly about each other. We made sure that homework got done when it was on our parenting time. My daughter just told me a story today when I was going through these notes. And she said, I remember when I was in middle school, I was really mad at you. And dad picked us up and I got the car and I was calling you all kinds of names and saying how terrible you are. And she, she said, he slammed on the brakes and he turned around and told me if I ever said another bad word about you, he was going to spank my butt. And, you know, that's how we were. We made sure that our kids knew that we were still their parents, 
we might not live in the same house, but we were still a family. Um, we both remarried, had other stepchildren, but they were all family. And we all celebrated all of the events together. We went to all the baseball games, the volleyball games, the football games. We sat together as a family, all of us. And, you know, his wife was the woman that he cheated on with me, but she was really good to my kids. I knew she would always take care of them. I trusted her and I just had to let that go. And I just knew that, you know, the more people that love my kids, the better off my kids were going to be. So we just, you know, were in sync. And, you know, if one of us felt more strongly about something than the other, whoever felt the strongest won. You know, we kind of just gave to each other's feelings. We respected each other's feelings. Um, and I don't really remember a time when we couldn't come to an agreement about anything. When my son was nine, he was a complete handful. I really couldn't handle him anymore. He was getting kicked out of school for being, you know, having a terrible temper. And I called my ex up and I said, your turn. He said, okay. And he took him. And, you know, I drove my son out there and cried the whole way. Mom, don't do this to me. And I'm like, yeah, you need your dad. Um, and later my son said it was the best thing I could ever do. He said, cause you couldn't handle me and I needed dad. And so we were, we always worked together for our kids. Same question to you, Ashley. Are, do you guys have the same house rules? Do you agree on discipline? What does that look like in your co-parenting relationship? We honestly have just been super lucky. Um, I don't know if it's more of a, he's just like, whatever your mom says, that's what I'm going to roll with. Or if it really just works the way that it works. Um, but we've just never had issues. You know, they're the only thing that ever came up was he, for a period of time, had wanted my son to go to private Catholic school. Um, and I just didn't feel it was the right fit for him. And we ultimately agreed that it wasn't necessary. Um, but other than that, you know, he is, we have like a very untraditional, um, setup, but because of, you know, the issues that he has, he does relapse a couple times a year where he's kind of out for the count for like four to seven days. Um, and it's getting harder because when he was younger, you know, I would just tell him that his dad was on vacation. And now that he's older, he's able to kind of like piece things together. But I just kind of like throw him in a little bit of a bubble um, until he's well again. But when he is good, he does go there um, Sunday to Tuesday. But we, you know, have the same house rules. He's got a bedtime. Um, his girlfriend and his dad alternate, you know, taking him to school and picking him up from school on the days that they have him. Um, her and I are super in sync about, you know, like, what's for lunch, you know, what does he need to put in his backpack? Um, she, you know, again, like Kimberly had said, she is one of the women that he cheated with, but that it's the woman that he has the child with. And her and I actually just have very similar views on things. And for me, like, I was upset, you know, for a little bit, obviously anybody would be, but ultimately it was kind of like, good luck, you know, like he's your problem now onward and upward. Like I wish you the best, you know? And, um, I have come to, you know, her defense on a number of times where they've had issues and she has threatened to leave. And I'm like, you know, telling him, listen, like, you're not going to find better than this, you know, and you're a fool if you let it go. So you better figure out what you have to do to keep it together. Um, but, you know, same as Kimberly, we all, aside from my father, who still will not participate if he's around, like he'll do birthday parties and stuff like that. But 
soccer games and, um, you know, baseball games, he comes and he'll sit on the opposite side of um, the situation because he's still, I mean, I'm his daughter. And I think as much as my ex-husband wished is that he was a little bit warmer towards him at the end of the day, he gets it because now he has a daughter. And if that was to happen to your child, you know, do, would you be able to just forgive and forget and shake somebody's hand? I don't know. I can't say. Um, but we do everything together. You know, his family with my family, his two grandparents, they still hang out. Occasionally they'll go get lunch together because they're all retired. We're just lucky. Well, and I think you brought up a word that I mull over in my head when I think about these kinds of circumstances, which is forgiveness. And I am sure it's pop culture enough to know that, you know, the common mindset is that forgiveness is something that you do for yourself so that you can move forward. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like both of you accomplished that. Did either of you like see a therapist or, or do anything to kind of help you get through? Yes, we both did. I saw a therapist for a number of years starting. I mean, starting honestly, before we got divorced, because it was bad. We got divorced in December of 17. It was finalized. I filed in July of 17, but things got bad like September the year prior. So it had been a long time coming. So I had been seeing somebody um, during that. And then he has people that he sees ever since um, everything happened with his issues and his diagnosis and stuff. So we definitely have had um, some help in that area. But it just helped also because both of us have a huge circle. You know, my family's very large. So with his and there was no way that I was going to be like left in the dust as, you know, a single mom to figure anything out. You know, thank God, because I know Kimberly had mentioned that movie made and I have not seen it or the series, um, but I've heard a bit about it. And I really was just fortunate that I had, you know, a lot of resources and a lot of people that helped along the way. What about you, Kim? What resources did you use to kind of get that point where you could forgive? Unfortunately, at that time, I had the kids 24-7 and I was trying to work. And, you know, my child support only covered daycare. So there wasn't any extra money for counseling, nor was there any extra time. Um, I mainly just relied on my really good close friends. We did a they would come over for dinner a lot and sit with me and after the kids would go to bed and chit chat. And so my friends really were the ones that got me through it. Um, I do believe highly in therapy and I recommend it all the time. I'm in therapy now to deal with, you know, 62 years of crap and it's been the best gift I could give myself. But at the time I just didn't have the resources to do it. It relied on your social circle and, to kind of fill that role. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of like, what, how did you communicate with your co-parent? Like, did you, I know sometimes um, when we have high conflict cases, we, the, the, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like the, the prevailing wisdom is, you know, go to a communication style that's very business-like and fact-based and, you know, what kind of, tools did you use to be able to communicate with your co-parent in a way that was productive um, and, and not damaging? Kim, what, what, how was, what was your approach to communication? We just continued to talk to each other like we always did. I mean, 
We're very open and honest. We didn't just leave our conversations to the kids. Whenever we saw each other or on the phone, we would ask each other, you know, how's your family doing? How's your job doing? What's going on? We still kept pretty engaged as people. Um, back then, there was no internet, email, text messaging. I mean, our only way of communicating was either in phone or person or by snail mail. Um, so we just kept it civil. Ashley, what about you? Pretty, pretty much the same, except, you know, we were able to use um, texting and stuff like that. But everything was you know, a phone conversation, we try to limit the like texting back and forth, because I feel like they can be misconstrued, especially if it's like a high emotion situation that you're dealing with. Um, Or, you know, when he would pick him up for the few hours that I would let him see him, you know, he would hop in my car, vice versa, we would chat about anything that we had coming up, you know, if we had a doctor's appointment on the horizon, I would, you know, let him know, this is the time, this, you know, the place or, if there was something going on with school or an activity or we've always been just very cordial. We decided from day one, you know, after he was on his feet that we weren't going to have days, you know, we weren't going to have a schedule because we do have um, a close, um, a friend of ours, they're, you know, married and um, they have a daughter and it's his daughter from a previous relationship and they just have a horrible relationship with the mom. And it's like, you know, trying to plan anything to include their daughter is always really hard because the mom will refuse to let her see him when it's not his day and stuff like that. And, you know, we had just decided early on that we're not doing that. Um, He, as I mentioned, he's six years old. He's been to both sides of the family for every holiday since he was born. Um, Both sides of the family are invited to every birthday party, every gathering. You know, we don't do you know, the, we'll ask your dad this or tell your mom that we speak to each other about things. Um, he's getting older now. So he does ask, you know, why do you live in separate houses? Why is Maya, my sister with my dad in Brooklyn, but not my sister with you and my dad? Um, so I kind of, you know, answer it the best that I know how. And a lot of people do ask me, you know, don't you want him to know what his dad did to you? And I'm like, no. You know, he'll find out, I'm sure, at some point, and he can make his own decision about how he feels about that. But that's something that was done to me and not him. And that doesn't affect how his dad loves him. It's interesting to me, both of you had an, a bad example that was like forefront. Kim, you said that your husband's ex-wife kept his kids from him, and you witnessed how that impacted everybody. And Ashley, you had a friend who went through the same thing. So both of you had an example of how not to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And was instrumental, it sounds like in your decision to be cooperative and be cordial and do get your egos out of the way, essentially, and do what's best for your kids. Is that a fair? I mean, that's surprising to me, actually. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. I mean, my father grew up without his father in the picture, but that was his choice, you know, and my dad really doesn't have any good memories of him. But again, you know, he was given the opportunity, they were divorced, and he was given the chance to, you know, let his son have a good impression of him. And he didn't do that. So if at some point, you know, his father goes backwards in his treatment, or, you know, stops doing the things that he needs to do to keep himself well, 
that's, you know, going to be his decision. And my son will have to decide how he feels about that if that bridge ever needs to be crossed. But for right now, I think, you know, he's always paid child support. He's always, you know, answered the phone if I needed to call about anything, you know, having to do with him. And um, it really just, we get along so much better when we're not married. You know, that's like the kind of the pun between us, you know, I'm always like, man, I like you so much better when I'm not married to you. But um, yeah. Ashley, how do you and your ex-husband communicate when he is having a relapse? Um, Is that that something he's very open with you about? Like where he's like, I'm just like, my cocktail's not working. I'm having a relapse or what, how does that so there's kind of um, there's kind of some telltale signs that we've all as a family unit just learned to recognize, and um, in the beginning he'll kind of say that he needs some time for himself, and you'll notice certain things happening. Um, but when he is in the full throttles, I just I cut off communication, and we don't answer because he gets manic. Um, yeah. So I just don't answer any phone calls or FaceTimes or stuff like that because there, there honestly have been times that he has FaceTimed him um, in an episode recently, actually. And my son was able to get to the phone before me and he has said hurtful things to him, obviously not in his right mind. Um, but I just kind of survey it while it's happening. And when it's done, you know, we'll ease back into the schedule and go from there. And does your ex-husband have like, probably not during the manic episode, but afterwards recognize that you did what you did to protect your son from being part of experiencing that manic episode? Does, is that? Yes. A hundred percent. He does when he's in it. Um, not at all. You know, I get yeah. called all the names and I would want, I'm keeping him from his son and I just learned to kind of develop a thick skin when those things are happening because I'll say and do try to do, you know, like hurtful things or um, just be, you know, a total jerk, but it's, it's not him, you know, it's not him who's speaking. So you can't hold it against him, you know? So I just try to protect myself the best that I can and keep it like a cushy situation. And then once he does kind of level out, um, because with him, we've found it's just, even when he stays medicated and he keeps up with therapy, there is just something with him where he's like every six months or so, he's triggered by something that just like is a huge downward spiral into a bad event. So we've all just kind of like learned how to deal with it. So in, in retrospect, is there anything that either of you did that made things more difficult um, to co-parent with the other person that you regret and would have done differently? Is there anything that you look back on and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have handled that that way. That just made things worse instead of better. I like Kimberly go first. (laughs) I I hate to say this, but I really don't think there is. I mean, my kids today feel like they've, you know, my daughter said today, I never felt like I came from a broken home. She said, I always knew my parents were there for me. You guys were at everything. Um, I really don't think that either he or I did anything that didn't work out for us. I mean, even my kids are 33 and 36. We still have Christmas together. We traveled to my daughter's in Florida and vacation. We went to my son's graduation at 
uh, Marine Corps, Paris Island. I mean, we're still a family. We have never stopped being a family. We just don't live in the same house. And I, you know, did we ever have words over these last 33 years? Sure. But never anything that damaged our relationship or our kids. I mean, we just, as a married couple, you're going to have fights. You're not always going to agree with everything if you're married. So you can't expect you're always going to agree when you're divorced either. But I really can't think of anything that I would have done differently. I mean, it all, I can say now with certainty, it all worked out. And your kids benefited. Presumably. Yeah, they really did. They're very, I mean, I don't know that they're well adjusted, but I think they are, you know, they're all good human beings. You know, I want to say one other thing. When my son was 15, he brought a kid home and I adopted him at 15. And my ex-husband stepped right up and fathered that child as well. And he grandfathers his babies and, you know, we're still a family. So I, I think that it all did work out. My kids are fine. Um, so I'm going to invite folks, if they have questions, to put them in the chat. Um, and if they're not wildly inappropriate, we'll ask. <laughs> um, so if you have questions, but while folks are thinking about whether or not they want to do that, um, Ryan, do you have any additional questions or so no, I've been I've been riveted. It's it's you know this is one of those pods where nobody needs to hear from me because I have nothing that I can contribute. So I'm just impressed you weren't watching golf the whole time. You've been facing forward, paying yeah. rapt attention the entire time. There's no tournament today. <laughs> so it made um, it easier. I do have one wrap-up question for, for each of you, and that is not to pick on you too much, Kim, but I'm going to pick on you. Um, because A, you've got a very long view in your rear view mirror. Um, it's been, you know, a few decades since you went through the actual split. Um, and also your perspective now as someone who is a family law attorney who counsels people to get through these circumstances, what is the best advice that you can give someone to set things up so that they can have a successful co-parenting relationship? Well, I heard Ashley say this, and I say it to people all the time. Your kids are one half of you and one half of the other parent. And so if you say anything bad at all about the other parent, the child is sitting there thinking, oh, well, if my dad is bad or if my mom is bad, that means I must be bad too because I'm part of them. And so I always ask parents to give their kids the gift of letting their child have that parent and not disparage that parent. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, I always tell women, a man is not a plan. So get over it and get on with life and take care of yourself and make sure you can support your kids on your own. And, and I always tell them too, you're still going to be a family. You're not going to be husband and wife, but you're still going to be mom and dad. You're just going to be living in two different households. So you need to figure out what that looks like. And, and every time somebody's sitting in my chair, those are the things that I talk to them about. All right. Ashley, what about you? What's the best advice that you can give these folks to give to clients about how to set up a successful co-parenting relationship? 
Um, I think you're right. Pretty much just second Kimberly, you know, they, um, they didn't ask for, you know, the situation that they're in. And I think to just, no matter how hard it is, you know, put your ego and your feelings aside and put their feelings first, um, you know, unconventional is okay. You know, um, it's, yeah, my son asked questions about like the dynamic of the family, but he doesn't ever feel different. He doesn't ever feel not loved. If anything, he's got way more people that love him than he did when he first started out, just because the circle has grown so much, you know? Um, and just, you know, like she said, think of what you say before you say it, you know, you don't want it to become a battle between two households and don't try to like, you know, buy the kids love. Don't try to like, you know, make yourself seem like the better parent um, because it it's ultimately just not going to be good for anybody in the situation. Good advice. I think from both of you, I do have a couple yeah. questions in the chat <clears throat> and Mr. Kachik is asking if both fathers had non-custodial parent parenting time. I, Matt, do you mean by that? Just like your every other weekend, Wednesday dinner visit stereotypical. Yes. He's nodding. So, uh, Kim, I think you said it every other weekend and yeah. on the phone a couple times a week kind of deal, right? Yeah, ours was every other weekend, holidays, uh, week of vacation in the summer. And Ashley, what about you? You don't have a schedule, right? You guys just kind of... Um, we don't go by any certain schedule. Um, he, uh, as I had kind of touched on, really didn't have too, too much time with him in the beginning because he was just not in a very stable situation. Um, but once he was able to figure that out, we kind of just do the Sunday to Tuesday thing. And if something comes up and he says, you know, Hey, I want to take him to a basketball game on a Saturday. Okay, go ahead. You know, it's, we just work with each other and keep the communication open. Okay. Um, one more question. Uh, from Elisa Peskin Shepherd, who wants to know if either of you had issues that went before the court or the friend of the court, like litigated, so supposedly a dispute that was litigated. Um, and what was your experience like as a parent or litigant in that forum? Kim, did you have anything that got litigated in front of the court? I'm very proud to say I never stepped foot back in court after the judgment was entered. We worked it out. And we appreciate it. Yeah, we had nothing. Yeah, same. We had nothing. Um, He actually went to my attorney's office and signed the paperwork and didn't come the day that it was finalized. So that's that was that. Same. Um, Well, I think that wraps it up. I want to tell you how grateful I am to the two of you to come here and share your story in front of a bunch of folks who some of whom you might know and some of whom you might not. And of course, thing to to take from that, the similarities in the stories are astounding to me. I did not like when we had you, we scheduled you both. I had no idea that they were so similar. I really didn't. So that's yeah, that is funny. I think there's something to take from that. Like it's not a coin. Mm-hmm. No. Right. Right. Well, I'll thank you. you thank both, you for having in. us. I'm sorry. Say that one more time, Kim. I said thank you for having us. It was, I was a little petrified to start off with, but yeah, thank you. I'm, for yes, I'm petrified so every much. podcast I do with the coster. So don't worry about it. <laughs> all, As you should be. Right. They're all horrifying, <laughs> but thank you for the wisdom. I think yeah, a lot of people I, I, take a lot away you. from this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, thank folks. Um, yeah, thanks and, for having us. 
Yeah, I, we're get, you're getting a lot of thank yous in the chat in case you can't see them from um, a lot of, of folks. And I am going to read just one to you who's then referee Dietz says that both of you should take ownership of your quote luck that you created by handling things the way that you did. And I wholeheartedly agree. Yep. You weren't lucky. You were smart and you were sensitive and you got your ego out of the way and your kids um, have benefited and will continue to benefit from that. So we, thank you. Um, we thank appreciate, you. you should appreciate yourselves too. Um, and the only thing, other thing I think I will say in closing is um, we are recording this podcast after what has been a very difficult week for our community. Please take care of each other. Um, please be kind to one another. And not just in the days that follow um, a difficult you can hear me. but all the time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.